Hello, this is Father Don Farnan. I am here with my sister Barbie, Dr. Jim Whitaker, and his lovely daughter, Amy Hodes. We're talking about uh, faith and how faith matters. Our audience, of course, is mostly a Kansas City audience. From a Catholic perspective as a priest, we talk about how faith matters in that sense that we have come to know. Uh, but faith matters in lots of, of different ways. I thought it'd be great to start off with a father-daughter combination of those Kansas <laughs> Cityans who've been around for a while who have a great investment in its future and also have uh, qu quite a past. Jim, I wonder if you might just uh, start us off and tell a little bit about yourself and your family. Thank you, uh, Father. I moved into Kansas City when I was in middle school. Then I went to uh, Rockhurst to Missouri, and then I went on, stayed there at Missouri to do medical school and then residency at KU, and then a fellowship at the University of Indiana. So that's my personal background. My family, I'm one of seven. My mother had a very strong Catholic faith. My father had really no affiliation with church. He was never really baptized. But it was an interesting contrast between a strong, really complete belief in the Catholic Church and all the doctrine, and a person who um, never went to church but supported Catholic education. What a wonderful sense then to have something that is so broad, to be introduced through your mother to a foundation that is a, an organized structure, and then from your father's view of looking at life in a very broad sense, and then how that comes together in a family system. Now, where did you live before you came to Kansas City in fifth grade? I was born in Coral Gables. We moved first to Kansas City, and then we moved to Cincinnati, and then we moved to North Carolina, and then we moved here. What number are you in the seven? I'm the third and the oldest boy. We talked a little bit earlier about uh, family placement, birth order, and how it can make an impact in, in how we live out our, our, our lives. Right. So that's a, another good uh, connection that we can look at, how we let our lives grow. And you're letting your life grow. Uh, you and Leslie uh, got together when you were in Columbia, Mizzou. And then uh, you stayed on there after you graduated and then continued on and got your doctorate. You became a doctor. And uh, we'll come back to that. There are a lot of things about family life and passing it on to your children. And Amy is the first, oldest, most everything. What, what a blessing to have you here and to talk about Thank generations you. of faith uh, with your dad and uh, my sister. As you look back uh, to your family of origin, well, what are some of the things that you're grateful for? We grew up with both parents having a really strong faith. They were always modeling that in our house. And this is so funny, but we used to get so mad because we were the only family on vacation, like spring break, wherever we were. We always had to go to mass on Sunday. We grew up with them modeling everything. So we were super lucky in that regard. And super grounded. Yes. I mean, you had your routines, you had those things that keep you rooted in a, a faith and, and you lived it out in the week to week. I love that 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 was important enough to you, Jim, and to Leslie, that you pass that on to your children. That's really wonderful. No matter where you were, you hit those masses. That's lovely. Well, I think, like Amy said, it's a blessing to have two parents in the family to begin with, and then both of them have the similar faith connection. Mainly, I was the hesitant one, maybe not to go, but Leslie would say, no, we're going to we're going to make this commitment and go. You know, that is the one of the first things that I, when I met you and your wife, I was just like blown away by how polite you are to each other and how, you know, you respectful you are to each other. I will say one thing, dad would be gone all day and he would come home and 
we would eat and he'd be like, well, mom's had a long day. Let's let's help her oh clean gosh. up. So he does that stuff. My husband's amazing, but I think he is the exception. Nice of her to say, but I do think that the mutual respect is something that Leslie and I both kind of really support and expect. Mm-hmm. And I think like a lot of things, if you have a habit of that, then it's pretty easy to maintain it. Yeah, couples goals. Mm. Makes for a great family system. Amy, tell me about uh, some of the attributes of your dad and of your mom and those things that you would hope that you and your sisters would pass along to their grandchildren. What are some of those attributes that you hope can continue to live? Well, the mutual respect for each other is wonderful. But, you know, my sisters and I talk about it. The number one thing I think about is the unconditional love that was shown to us and we really put it to the test sometimes especially in our teenage years i'm sure there were times where they did not want to unconditionally love us that is i think the center for me with my children for what i want them to feel the same way i did no matter what the action that's happening at the time what kind of nonsense that we love you no matter what you do and that just kind of gives you this incredible confidence and foundation and then i think you know that combined with our faith life always being prioritized. So Jim, tell me, when you came to Kansas City, you were part of that visitation community. And back in those days, I'm not sure if Monsignor McDonald was still around or Monsignor Ty, uh, but what a, a community. I mean, you go up and down the streets there around 52nd and Main, and you see uh, there are eight kids in this household, and there are five kids in this household, and there are 12 kids in this household, and kids are in and out of each other's houses. It was truly a Catholic community, not just inside the church, but in the neighborhood. What do you remember about that? Very warm feelings, identical to what you were saying. And we moved around a lot, so we saw different parishes and schools. That was the warmest nest, so to speak, that I can remember. You know, the Kelly family, the Kelly's bar, she lived right across the street. The oldest child was Mary Kelly. She and I were classmates in visitation when I came there. Oddly enough, we were classmates in medical school, too. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Mary was a very scholarly person and very reserved, but a real sweetheart. Like you said, there were so many families with six to ten kids. The Welsh family, Mike Welsh and his brother, lived right in that area, too. He and Mike and I were real good friends, and so... I'd spend the night there, and he'd be introducing me to all the people in that neighborhood. So it was was really a kind of inviting environment for your faith. Yeah, and visitation was wonderful about that with the family of families that made up that parish community. And if you go anywhere in Kansas City today, you're going to find somehow that they're connected back uh, to the visitation families Mm -hmm. in some way. Mm -hmm. It's a a great community. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you went there, and then uh, to Rockhurst, played a little football, Mm -hmm. and then uh, to Columbia and had a fun time there Mm -hmm. for a while. And then you you settled down a little bit. uh, Had to make some decisions about football or medical school. And who helped you to make that decision? At that point in time, you know, the draft was still in, and so conscription was mandatory. In fact, even ROTC, we had to do that for two years. So I did have the opportunity to to play uh, professional football. Vietnam was just getting gone, and so you had to commit either to a two-year active duty then, or I could do what they called at that point in time the Berry Plan, which allowed you to defer and do your degree and then come back and serve your time in the reserve unit. That's what I opted for, and, and you, you applied for it, and I just I got it. Speaking of people of, of real notoriety, when you mentioned Monsignor Ty and sure. Monsignor McDonald, I remember when I first moved into the parish, 
uh, I served for uh, Monsignor McDonald, and at that point in time, he wasn't the happiest person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and he put the fear of God in the people serving. He always kind of made up for it because he'd be sure that for weddings and funerals, the people serving were compensated. He's also looking for some future priests there. They got a little five spot or something. <laughs> yeah, you come to expect it, and in uh, talking with other fellows in different parishes, it didn't always play that way. And then Monsignor um, Ty was uh, a real influence on uh, all of us as well. He was quite a speaker and quite a statesman, so to speak. I always admired him and how he was able to mix with so many different people and make them all feel good. And uh, he, he was quite a inspiration to me. Well, it's an amazing story. My first assignment as a priest was a visitation parish, and so I would hear the stories. A visitation was established in 1909, and it was on the farmland of the pastor, Monsignor McDonald. And so uh, it's old McDonald's farm, and, and he uh, kind of ran that place and uh, began selling off some of the land, and some of the uh, area was developed down Minsky's Pizza and a lot of the places, as you see, up and down Main Street. And he would uh, collect the rent on the uh, first Mondays of the month. And, you know, he kind of ran his place. And as you're indicating, some of us, when we get older, we get uh, a little more crotchety. He, he, he kind of uh, went that way, but it was his parish. And he got to stay there for 49 years as the pastor. Wow. And then he chose his successor, a very unusual thing. He, he chose Monsignor Ty to, to come. And uh, well, politics in the, the church with uh, him and the bishop. But he reminded the bishop that, that was his parish mm -hmm. on his land. Uh -huh. And he could choose his successor. So Monsignor Ty came and gave him his 50th year and asked or petitioned that uh, he, he reached the full of 50, uh, which was, uh, again, very, very wonderful. And Monsignor Ty was nothing but gracious and kind and loving and so joyous until the day that he died. He was just so in love with life and in love with uh, people. I asked him once uh, about priesthood, and he said, the only thing you need to know is to love the people. If you love the people, everything else will take care of itself. <clears throat> Amy, do you have many stories about your own childhood and about your own growing up years and about the formation that you received? We had Monsignor Curtin St. Anne's, and he was really scary. When I watch my children going through getting their sacraments, it's so different. It's so much more pleasant and enjoyable. I was crying the whole way to my first penance because if you don't know the prayer, oh yeah, you are so scared versus my kids. I went to St. Anne too. Monsignor Curtin was there the whole time I was there. We had nuns that were teaching still. Oh, yes. And full habits when you were a student, or did they go to the uh, more advanced or more modern? No, one? they had, I don't think anyone, well, Sister Jane Albert was full habit for a little bit, but then Sister Jane Marie just wore the, the top. Well, there are a lot of wonderful memories and holidays and sacraments and traditions and uh, trips that they took and things that helped to form our, our, our faith as well. It's all good stuff. I want to talk a little bit about the church today and based on the past where we might be going in the future and what is it that you hope that we could hand on to children and children's children i, I know we look at the church universal uh pope francis is a little bit different leader than his uh, predecessor uh, pope benedict and before him uh, john paul ii francis kind of taps into some of the earlier leaders paul vi who was the great evangelist you know he wanted us to go out and share share the faith after the second vatican council and john the 23rd they called the council together and what we see now in this synod and synodality is pope francis is kind of challenging us to go back to the second vatican council look at what was going on there and what came from that about how we live in the modern times because the world is different, the church is different, 
And what is it that we ought to do that is enlivening for the 21st century now of how we can evolve as uh, God's people and do so in a way that really gives to the children. So whether it's the universal appeal or here in Kansas City of how we live out that faith uh, locally. Uh, do, do any of the three of you have any comments about that or based on where we've been, where we ought to go? I, I think, you know, I was telling Donald earlier, when when we were young, it was, we believed everything that the church said. We did exactly what the Monsignor did, said to do. And now as our children are growing, they're questioning those things. They're saying, I don't have to tell you all my sins, where we practiced our confessions with our parents. Mm-hmm. Our kids are looking deeper. What can this mean for me? And unconditional love that you grew up with, that's something that we didn't always experience with the Catholic Church. It's like if you had a sin and it was a mortal sin, your soul is black and you're going to hell. I think now it's that loving God that walks with us. We have shown our children, our parents have shown us this unconditional love. That's what I want. That's the most important thing as a parent. I think anyone would say this. You want your kids to be loving, kind human beings above all else. I'd get in more trouble growing up for doing something that would be disrespectful, ugly to someone versus bad grades. That's where we're coming from right now, which that's what we want. I think our kids are questioning because there seems to be a little gray area between what Jesus said, which is unconditional love for everyone. There are no exceptions. All are welcome between that and between what the church says, which is no, these people actually are sinners. And so I get confused. They do too. The good thing is we can talk about it. There's so many great things about the Catholic Church that outweigh the little in-between-the-lines things like this. Absolutely. But they definitely question it. And I don't have all the answers, that's for sure. No, but you can sit with them through it. It's that that empathy, I think, is what my hope for the church would be, that they can sit with people where they are and say, you are so unconditionally loved and you are welcome here. And that acceptance, that empathy, that acceptance. I think that's what I experienced with the inner city church. My daughter and I just went to mass this weekend. She was saying, mom, I love inner city Jesus. Inner city Jesus meets you where you are. And suburban Jesus wants you to come to where he is. (laughs) That's good. I like that. That's true. Well, that church is so welcoming. Yeah. You really feel like you just like might just move in there and become best friends. Right. (laughs) I love the way that we can praise Jesus in different ways in our lives and to know that we are unconditionally loved. And I and I love that you brought that up as a parent. That's pretty much the core belief that they never, no matter how mad they got at us, there was never a second that I didn't know with all my heart that they loved me with everything. You know, it's interesting, and I, I think critics might challenge our, our way of thinking in the sense that they would say, well, God's love, of course, is unconditional, but God's friendship, uh, Jesus' friendship is conditional. He says, uh, you, you are my friends if if you do what I command of you to do. And so that command, as Jesus reminded us so often, is to live as people of love. If we can do this, uh, then we're going to be sharing in this sense of uh, unity with God. A lot of people choose not to do that, but I, I do wonder sometimes what the church can do to help for whatever it is that the world most needs today. Are there things that the world needs that perhaps our church could respond to and say, 
this ties in both with the condition of friendship, but the unconditional love that God has for us. I think my generation, for instance, is in an awkward position. And because, as you mentioned, Barbie, you had a very stringent, rule-driven party line, and you don't deviate from that, as opposed to now a much more liberal interpretation of things. And our current pope is exemplary of that. I, I hear people oftentimes uh, question his leadership uh, ability and style. I, I, I must say I've been there myself. Uh, but I've kind of found comfort in saying God doesn't make any mistakes. Uh, I think that this is happening for a reason. He's, he's forcing people to come, my generation, of rules and regulations and listening to everything and taking it as gospel with no questions from the pulpit as opposed to the other end. I would say that people my generation and older struggle with being patient with a current church, and so they strike out against him personally almost, and I just hate to see that. That's the devil at work. I, I think time and continued appreciation for the presence of the Holy Spirit, things will get better. It's going to be a while, and I think we just have to accept that and, and pray on it. It's a great challenge for us today. Amy, do you have thoughts on what the world needs, how the church might respond? It's just acceptance is the only word I can think of. Actually, to be really honest with you, it's been awesome to watch my parents educate themselves and not lash out. But I just feel like the accepting people, instead of these people aren't allowed, you know, the, these people, I get the friendship thing and I respect that. There have to be rules. Sure. But I don't think Jesus would ever tell a good person, regardless of sexual orientation or any of that, no, my Jesus wouldn't do that. I can't see any world in which God would not say, everyone's accepted. We all need to work on ourselves. That's just my opinion. Well, we can learn an awful lot from the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings, can't we? It seems like when I was growing up, there was a lot more judgmentalism, yeah. a lot more condemnation. I, I was blessed beyond measure because we had a wonderful priest growing up, Father Boland. He was out there in the yard working with us. He was such a great guy. I know a lot of people would look at a priest and not think that they can wear shorts or go swimming or those kind of yeah. things. And I think what you do an excellent job at, Donald, is meeting people where they are. Yeah. Yes, there are rules, but we can get to that. I think let's love people where they are and walk alongside them. You're, you're right. If we can uh, listen to one another, and that's essentially what the Synod is, is about, just listening to one another, especially the marginalized and those that have been pushed uh, to, to the margins and sometimes disenfranchised uh, from the church. Jim, I know you've got a few friends that meet. You might be the only Catholic in the group, but uh, they're uh, people from different religions who talk about the common ground that we have and talk about how we kind of create a better world by learning from one another and listening to each other and uh, building upon things in which division or differences don't have to be a lack of unity. In other words, we can find unity in our diversity sometimes because with our, our Protestant friends and sometimes with our non-Christian friends, we'll find out that maybe 95% of what we believe is the same, at least among Christians, but sometimes we emphasize the 5% uh, rather than the rest. You're right, Father. Um, I do have uh, a group that gets together and they're not Catholic, similar to what you said, a lot of common beliefs and misconceptions that we have been able to voice because we're pals. It really moves everybody down the road together. And I think in the past, there have been barriers for those kind of things. I think you got to be able to be broad-minded enough to go past that right now. And to me, the Pope's current blessing of the same-sex couples 
as opposed to individual blessings, has caused a lot of controversy. I, I also think that's God's way of making us feel uncomfortable and forcing us to look at what we're really doing and just reason it out. Don't be so compartmentalized. Force yourself to go in an uncomfortable place. As you point out, the younger people go there instantaneously. Older folks are more measured in their appreciation. Some of them never get off the dime. But I think that, that this issue forces them to at least look at the issue or stick their head in the sand. I hope it encourages us to be more broad-minded and, as you say, to take a pause and think about it a little bit. Consider other perspectives and look at things from different viewpoints. Amy, are we getting there, do you think? Are we getting to a better place? I have a lot of hope watching the way my kids are and their friends and the acceptance level they have. Um, my parents give me hope because it's, like you said, a lot of people that are older, they just don't budge, but you guys do. You educate yourselves and you take a pause and listen. So I think we're hopefully going in the right direction. I worry about our kids that if this won't happen quickly enough that they will say, forget it. I mean, fingers crossed that won't happen because nothing moves all that quickly within the Catholic Church. But if we're judging by their actions and the way they accept people, I think we're moving in a positive direction. Good. And I hope that we will have uh, the patience. But like you say, uh, a lot of young people will say, well, we don't want to wait. Uh, we don't want to waste our lifetime on this. Let's let's do it now because yeah. it's such common sense uh, to, to be uh, more open. You know, uh, we, we bless so many things. And, and what we're saying, we need to bless people. We need to bless people in, in, in their lives. And to know that they are God's children, we are all God's children, created in his image and likeness. How can anyone be less than that? Are there such things as children of a lesser God because of sexuality or anything else? I, I think the Pope would challenge us on that and say, no, we're, we're all the children of the same God. And yet at the same time, he makes a distinction in what we define as marriage and that uh, our society defines marriage as a civil union and that has certain guidelines for it, mostly legal guidelines. And then the other definition of marriage to the church is the sacrament of holy matrimony, uh, which will always be between one man and one woman just because of the way that we read the scriptures and the way that's been handed on uh, to us. The Pope understands that. And I think uh, all the, the leaders of the church understand that, but sometimes communicating it uh, to, to the rest of the world is a little bit uh, more of a challenge because we want to jump to conclusions about one thing or another. But as you say, if we could just be a little more thoughtful, patient, and take time to reason and to use logic and to use God's uh, grace and the Holy Spirit's ability to work through us. Well, any final comments before we uh, wind down? <clears throat> I would just say, you know, thank you so much, you guys. What a great position you're in, Amy, that you can watch your parents grow and listen and then to watch your children as well. And my children get to watch my parents, which what is really a special gift. Absolutely. Thank you guys and thank our listeners for listening. And of course, we want you to write in with your questions or your comments about this. You guys brought up excellent points about the Catholic Church. I'm going to just uh, read a prayer as we uh, end. It's a prayer by Thomas Merton, a prayer that uh, many people are familiar with, but really a, a prayer about challenge of uh, going through life and maybe not quite knowing where we're going, but trusting that God is going to be with us, even if we don't know. My Lord and my God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it's all going to end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you, 
does in fact please you. And I hope that I'll have that desire in everything that I do. I hope that I'll never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will be with me and you will lead me by the right road, even if I know nothing about it. Therefore, I'm going to trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the valley of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Lord God, we pray that you will not allow the church to face our perils alone, but to know that you are with us and that you will guide us in the right path. Well, God bless you. Thanks for listening in. And again, Amy, Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Father.